month of October. Happy Halloween. <laughs> There's three weeks left, sir. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. ATP Podcast, Mark Figueroa, Jake Asai. It's actually a good week. It's a good week. I was kind of worried, you know. We got the Asian swing slower half. Not a whole lot going on, but uh, enough has happened for us to be here and talking. So um, let's let's drop the table of contents on them. What's, what are we going to discuss today? Uh, fights. We're going to discuss fights in the stands. We're going to discuss... Is Naomi Osaka truly Japanese or not? Hmm. You know how I feel about that one. Yes, I already know. Don't (laughs) tell me. Don't tell me. Uh, The Curios ban. And we're going to bring up some statistics that you guys may not have known that happened within this past week. Okay. But first, we're going to talk about the fight in the stands. Mm -hmm. It occurred in the China Open between Kerber's box versus Zhang's box in Mm. China. Now, this is surprising. The boxes normally in other tournaments, they're in separate uh, stands mm-hmm. or other side of the stands. Yeah. This time, they had Zhang's box below, Kerber's box right above it. Mm. What do you think about that? That's a bad idea. Even high schools don't do that. You know, even high schools have opposing schools on opposite bleachers, you know. So, I mean, of course... If you're on Kerber's team or in Kerber's circle, you know, you're not going to be saying the happiest things in a competitive competitive environment about the opposition. You know, it's not personal. It's just, you know, who you're rooting for. You're trying to exploit the opponent and their weaknesses. And you're going to be saying some less than kind things if you're a vocal, you know, person within the team. So it was a bad idea on the tournament's behalf. I don't think either squad or team or circle is really at fault, but also they're adults. So, I mean, I guarantee you anything that was said or heard between the two that caused the dispute is not something that isn't said all the time in other tournaments by boxes. So, you know, come on. That tournament just needs to get it together. Now, the person that was yelling and causing the controversy on Kerber's side was uh, identified by the WTA that they sort of were in Kerber's box, but not really. Mm. Now the person in the Zhang box was. Now mm. this is what happened. Sources say that that guy on the Kerber's box ended up spitting on Zhang's mom. Whoa. And then after every point of importance, that guy ended up cheering as if she just won the title. <laughs> That's just childish. So one of the guys on Zhang's box, which is, uh, according to the WTA, a friend of the dad's Mm. had enough and told him to be quiet. Mm. Kerber's guy said, no, not really. So on video, it was uh, uh, looked that Zhang's guy punched Kerber's guy mm-hmm. and then there was further investigation and the wta decided to ban the guy that was in Zhang's box for the rest of the tournament and not kerber's box kerber's wow. guy now that guy that was in Zhang's box was a friend of the dad of Zhang. Mm-hmm. now my question to you is was that ruling fair if you throw the first punch in a public forum like that the tournament doesn't really have a choice but to have you out the tournament for the remainder 
Now, that's not that big of a deal in my opinion. It's just the tournament. It's one tournament. He didn't get a 16-week band, you know, anything like that. I don't want to jump the gun on you. But, you know, yeah, I mean, what do you think is going to happen when you throw fisticuffs in a tournament stand? Is Someone's getting suspended. Should it have been both? Maybe. But uh, at least one, you know, so no surprises there. Totally good call. As I stated, <clears throat> the spitting who knows if there was spitting or not? That was mm-hmm. a source. Mm-hmm. But if there was, I'm sorry, he sort of deserves what he had. Yeah. But at the same time, why would a stadium put opposing players' boxes up and down? Yeah. You know that's what I mean? Crazy. Spread them apart. Yeah. So that was sort of dumb on their part. Mm. But um, that was the only incident that happened. Hopefully, that doesn't happen a lot more. Mm. Moving on to Naomi Osaka. There was a comedian. It was actually a duo of comedians. Uh-oh. Their names was, hopefully I don't butcher it, Amazo. A, capital A, hyphen, M-A-S-S-O. Mm. Um, they didn't believe that Osaka was Japanese enough because she was too dark. Mm-hmm. Now, Nissan, that's the, a noodle company mm. in, Jap- in Japan. Mm. They actually got in trouble because they had Osaka and Nishikori, they had a cartoon of them, and they made them wider than what they really were. Mm-hmm. So there was the beef there. Nias and Nascoli got in a lot of trouble, mm-hmm. and they had to release an apology and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Osaka ends up responding to these people by saying, I wear sunscreen. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm not as dark as what I am. She named a sunscreen that is based in Japan and that um, they back her. Now, the question to you is, was that a low blow by the comedians or what do you think? Is it a low blow? No, people should stop being sensitive. We live in a world where comedians are our only outlet for dark moments, negative things that people like regular people can't say. You know, they say things that have some truth to it and they make light of it. That's what comedians do. You should never take it personal when comedians say these kind of things. Especially when, like this situation, there is some truth to it. You are not an authentic Japanese person. You are Japanese, partially, you know. You have Japanese ethnic background, but you are an American. You know, that's just the bottom line. So if they want to crack jokes, that's fine. Now, them saying she's too dark to be Japanese, that's kind of stupid and ignorant. You know, people are mixed. People have mixed ethnic backgrounds, and that has nothing to do with how Japanese you are. There are people darker than Naomi Osaka who are actual Japanese citizens. It's just a coincidence that Naomi Osaka is a fake citizen, and she's, like, <laughs> dark. There's a major difference there. But, you know, they're comedians. It's, it shouldn't ever get to that stage where people take it personal. Whether they're actually funny or not, I don't know. But... I laugh because I always have, you know, you've heard me on this podcast, how I talk about how she's a, a fake Japanese because she's um, an American player who's just capitalizing on endorsements. But, you know, it's no big deal. They ended up apologizing for their statement. Of course. And said, yes, if we offended you, we apologize. She said, apology accepted, whatever. Mm. The thing to me that sort of was weird was going back to the Nielsen, they try to lighten up K Nishikori. Mm-hmm. K Nishikori isn't dark at all. To He's me. not dark. So when that happened, it was, eh, 
you know, I don't, mm. I don't know. But sort of speaking on it, when you're even Mexican, American, French, Amer- whatever it mm. is, whatever you are, when you're an American, born in America, and you have heritage of the other country, mm. it's going to be rougher on you. Mm-hmm. They expect more of you. The other country expects more of you. Mm-hmm. It's just it is it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Now you're right. The Jap the dark comment about Osaka being too dark to be Japanese that was ignorant. Yeah. But she was born in America. There's going to be more expected of her. Yeah. Her Japanese is probably a little breaky, mm-hmm. so she can't speak it proper enough. So mm-hmm. the Japanese are going to be speak it properly. Mm-hmm. You know, get more accustomed to our uh, theories, insights, and stuff. So it's always going to be harder. Mm-hmm. So. It is what it is. Yeah, I wonder about that. I wonder about how critical they are of her. Because I feel like they should know better than we do how American she really is, you know? Right. But maybe also on the flip side, because of her glory and her successes, do they overlook how not Japanese she is because of that? Yeah, that's a possibility. Okay, I don't know. That's that's a question for someone in Japan, I guess. Yeah, it's hard to say. Mm -hmm. So, moving on to the guys. Murray had a big victory against Bertini. He's uh, ranked oh, number 13 yeah. in the world. Andy Murray. <laughs> he is the highest ranked player since uh, he's come back from the hip surgery. Mm-hmm. This guy made it to the quarterfinals of Wimbledon mm-hmm. and the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Was it a big victory for Andy Murray? I have to say yes, but I also have to say I watched this match on Tennis TV, the app. That is not a product placement there. <laughs> but yeah, I watched uh, I watched Berrettini Murray match. I will say this. This match was pretty boring. Um, this match didn't impress me on either side of the court. Murray was serving pretty well. We saw Murray returning the way he was returning in doubles, you know, getting a lot of balls in play. We saw Murray being crafty. We saw Berrettini trying to drop shot him to death and having some success with the drop shot. And we saw Murray looking kind of slow, you know, so... I can't say that, whoa, Murray's looking like old Murray. But if I were to really gauge it, I would say Murray's looking like a top 50 player, top 60 player. Um, I don't think Berrettini's a true number 13. I think that Berrettini's maybe a true top 30 player. You know, So it was a good victory for Murray. It was a good matchup for Murray. This wasn't a player that's going to blow you off the court. This wasn't a player who's going to expose how slow you are at the moment. So it worked out in his favor. Um, do you have any takes? Did you watch the match at all? A little bit, yeah. What'd you see? <clears throat> Same thing as you did. Mm-hmm. A lot of mistakes. Murray didn't look super impressive, mm-hmm. but he did win the match. He did problem solve a little bit. Mm-hmm. So what I was going to ask you was, you weren't impressed that Berrettini has made it to the quarters of two slams in a row? Um, yes and no. I think that in the U.S. Open, I don't know if he had any matches that blew me away. I think the draw kind of opened up for him. And at Wimbledon, I don't remember. I don't remember his run. Yeah, he lost to Federer badly. Yeah. In that match, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. I just don't remember him getting any wins that made me go, oh, this guy's on my radar now. I do remember him making a run at the U.S. Open. Yes. I also remember all the big three kind of not running into him. Right. So, you know, Berrettini, good for you. Good. I'm glad he's high in the rankings. That's always something to celebrate. But it's also... One of those moments where you go, is it something to celebrate when you beat him? Do we want to say, Berrettini, number 13, I beat him? Or do we want to say, I beat Berrettini, you know? Okay. Um, so, the real test happens in Murray's next match, which we're on air right now. But if you're listening to this tomorrow, which you probably are, um, he's playing Dominic Team. 
we're going to really find out how he's feeling and looking then. Because Dominic Team, even when he's not at his peak performance, is a big hitter. And he can open up the court with a single swing. Right. So we'll find out what kind of movement Murray has, how he's handling pace. Can he hit winners off of a younger athletic guy? We're going to see. We're going to test him out for sure this time. Right. You jumped the, the gun a little bit. He mm-hmm. did back up his win. I was going to say that. He did back up his win today uh-huh. and is now going to play Dominic team. Right. So he did back it up at least. But yeah. yes, Dominic team is going to test the movement, not by drop shots, but by opening up the court. Right. And that we're going to see how Murray's movement truly is. If Murray can, I don't need him to beat team. I need him, him to truly compete with team because let's be honest here. You know, we've both been in situations where we were playing excellent in excellent form at a recreational level. Something happens to us and now we have to bounce back. And it's a slow process. You know, you come out and you play the people you used to be neck and neck with. You don't compete the same way. But in your head, you're going, okay, that was there. This was there. And over the few months, it slowly comes back. You get back to a competitive level. That's what I want to see out of Murray. I want to see some of the chess pieces in place and I want to see that there's optimal opportunity for him to get better throughout the next 12 months if we can see that from him playing team you know let me see some decent serves let me see you get to a few balls and turn defense into offense things like that i'll have good hopes for him now this is something that i found very interesting Mm -hmm. when he had the hip replacement his surgeon told him try to play yeah tennis he said okay well i'm not feeling any pain on it Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna go Mm -hmm. if he had enough played tennis he would get 20 to 25 years with that hip without mm. having to replace it. Yeah. Now, by putting all that tear, he's probably guaranteed 15 to 17 years from articles that I have read. Yeah. Would they, you uh, have taken that chance? Absolutely. Um, I am a recreational level player, and I would still take the chance. And I'm not getting paid to do it. For me... If a doctor can put me in a situation where I'm back being able to fully be mobile and play sports and be athletic, I'm going to not take it for granted again. You know, and he kind of mentioned that where he said that first win, you know, he goes, you take your health for granted when you have it. He's like, so now I value these matches that I'm able to play and I have the opportunity to enjoy. So from that perspective, to me, it's going, you have the opportunity to keep playing professional tennis and have fun. And we know that money won't be an issue when it's time to replace your hip again when it comes to that. Get out there and play. So I support it. I think it's really good. If I were in his shoes, I would wear out that hip he's got too. You know, I don't care if it's only eight years. You know, I'd be playing ball. So I'm happy for him and sounds good. Okay, fair enough. Now uh, we skip the champion, Zuhai. Mm. The champion there was, uh, they have a, uh, a little cute name for him now. Alex Diminor. Mm-hmm. They call him Baby Shark. Okay. Are you impressed by... Alex Diminor's win in Zuhai. Um, not so much by his win in Zuhai, but his consistency quietly this year. He has a f- three titles this year? Yes. Uh, he's gotten three titles this year, remained fairly under the radar while still being out there and working hard. Um, I like him. Do you think that he can make a push and uh, push the top guys and even the top gen guys? Not really. Not yet. Um, maybe the top gen guys, but I don't see him being a, even a slight factor against the big three yet. Okay. Um, I don't think that the game is quite, quite there, but I do expect him to be a relevant athlete for maybe the next five years. Fair so, enough. I expect good things from him. 
Okay. And now I just wanted to clarify certain things. When certain athletes, not every athlete, when certain athletes play a 250 or a 500 event, they get an appearance fee. Mm. It's because they're drawing the crowd. Yeah. Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, they'll get an appearance fee for showing up on a 250 event, period. Yeah. Now a lot of the tournaments can't afford him, mm-hmm. so they just don't get him. Mm. So going back to Kyrgios, Kyrgios is getting the crowd, so mm. that's why he got an appearance fee. Yeah. I just want to clarify that and not think everybody gets an appearance fee. It's just right. certain people, mm. just to clarify that up. Yeah, because, I mean... To the defense of tournaments who do pay this appearance fee, think about it this way. Why did we regret not going to uh, the Southern Western Open? Because a few certain faces were there, you know? That's what makes a tournament attractive. It's just, you know, a few showmen, a few entertainers, a few great names that show up. It doesn't matter what the ranking is. It doesn't matter how much they're winning. There's certain people you want to see play. Certain people you don't care so much to see play. And that's why I was kind of saying with Bertini, you're number 13, but are you number 13? Okay, I got it. Yeah. Fair enough. You know, Bertini, do do we care? If you tell me, hey, the number 13 guy's on court, I'm going to go, which guy? And if you go, hey, the number 32 guy's on court, and you say it's Kyrgios, I'm going to hop out of my chair, you know? So I think that the number 13 Bertini win for Murray is less significant than if we saw a Kyrgios win for Murray. Okay. You know, so sometimes it's the athlete, not the number that okay. the ranking shows. Now going on to something that's been brought up a lot. Mm. Ever since Labor Cup, a lot of coaches and a lot of announcers have said that they want to see on-court coaching for the ATP. Mm-hmm. Would you agree or disagree with that comment? Um, I think that they're getting <laughs> they're getting caught up in the hype of the the emotional drama and the you know the mic'd uh the mic'd commentary from coaches that we see at Labor Cup. The buzz of Labor Cup is contagious, you know. We're seeing a lot of people attracted to the commentary and the jokes and the banter we get on the sideline. And they think that the the pro circuit, like the regular tour, is like that, and it's not. You know, it's not as dramatic. The stakes aren't as high. Um, the people aren't as personable and appreciative. We don't care what a lot of these people are saying. And it's going to change the trajectory of matches, having people on court consoling psychological support. Um, I think that they're getting caught in the hype. I think that's what it is. I don't mind commentary from coaches, but I don't think that the men's tour has needed it for the last 10 years. I don't think they need it this year either. Yeah, it's based on money. Everything's money-based, and... They're doing it in the in the WTA, so they're thinking, ooh, what if this happens in the ATB? Yeah, and my thing is, in the WTA, no one's excited about it. We're not listening to the mic'd up coaches. They go to commercial break, you know? So I don't, I don't see the importance of it. I don't think it's important. For the most part, they do. When it's the big names, that's when they have them on court. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a little drama here and there with yeah. the player not listening to the coach mm-hmm. and with the explosion of the player to the coach. So it's actually quite a funny interaction. Yeah. But I understand your point. Yeah. They're also missing that it was Nadal coaching Federer right. against Kyrgios. Yeah. It's not coach versus telling Federer what to do. It's completely yeah. different. Right. So I think that commentary in like semis and finals of course would be great but i just don't want to see it for all the matches i I don't i'm not ready for that i don't need that now we have the couple numbers for you Mm -hmm. novak Djokovic this year is uh this year this week is now the third highest uh consecutive player at number one Mm -hmm. are you impressed by that 
Very. Um, I thought this was inevitable. And it's almost insane how dominant he's been that he's only number three. Because it feels like he's been the greatest player on earth for a long time now. I mean, he's he went into peak form in 2011. You know, and then, um, you know, he's had his ups and downs. But he's consistently been in the top three or two since then, pretty much. So... It's impressive how much he's going to have to win to become number one at being number one. That's crazy. And I think a lot of the younger people don't understand how well Fed did. Right. That, um, you know, they see Novak as that more than Fed now. Now, Federer also had a milestone. Most weeks at number three mm. at 200 mm-hmm. weeks. Most weeks at number two with 218. And he still has a record for... Most weeks at number one with 310. Mm. What do you think of Federer's consistency? Federer has shown a level of consistency that has never been shown in the history of tennis. He is he owns so many records that play to longevity and consistency. It's almost mind boggling, um, spe- especially because his play style does not cater to longevity. In my opinion, he's a shot maker. He's a tactician. He relies on offense more than defense, and it has paid dividends for him. And I think that although I'm saying that it doesn't really cater to longevity, on the flip side, it shortens points, less court time, um, less wear and tear on the joints and body playing less defense. So um, it's impressive, and I hope that it's an influential moment, you know, and it teaches a lot of players that taking risks and building consistency on the big shots and under pressure – are what create consistency in a long-term career. Federer's movement <clears throat> compared to Djokovic. Djokovic is a little too, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not explosive, but. He's very physical. There you go. He's physical, very thank physical. you. To where Federer is not. Yeah. So that's the longevity. He's also coming in a lot more. Serve yeah. and volley. Short points. Chip and charge. Short points. Mm-hmm. That's why he's been able to adapt, and that's why he's been able to stay at the top for so long. Mm-hmm. Now I have a question for you. Mm. The past two and a half years, Nadal has not competed in the Asian swing. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we see him there. Coincidence? Not at all. Method to the madness? Absolutely. Uh, we're seeing, and I think this is very relevant. We've had conversations about this with other players in similar scenarios where we go, okay, Alexander Zverev is playing 50 billion tournaments a year because he wants to be protective of that rank because he's not actually winning a lot of tournaments. We're noticing, you know, Dominic team before he made it into where he's at now, he was playing 27 tournaments a year minimum. You know, he was every single week he was on court somewhere. And you have to go, okay, when does your body rest? When does your brain rest? And, you know, part of it is, look, these guys know that if they don't get proper seating and higher ranking, they get screwed over in the Grand Slams. And in the long term, they never get a relaxing year. So ranking highly dictates the schedule of these athletes. And we don't recognize that. Uh, To speak to what you're pointing at, Nadal's playing the Asian swing all of a sudden. What is happening in the rankings that inspired this decision? What's going on, Fig? Nadal is currently number one, but not by a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, Djokovic also had the little shoulder problem, and he said, I'm not going to play anymore. Mm -hmm. Remember U.S. Open? We didn't expect to see him until next year. 
now all of a sudden he's playing. Mm-hmm. What a coincidence. Mm-hmm. That's why they're both playing. Right. So it's a race to protect the number one ranking from both of them. Right. So whoever has a stronger swing, uh, Asian swing performance, we may see them in the year at number one. I know Novak has five years at number one under his belt. This is potentially number six if he has a strong finish to this season. But with his his injury he had, I don't know if it's a good idea. Yeah, I don't either. I don't know how severe the injury is. And I hope he doesn't overexert himself because the Australian Open is his bread and butter. And he's got points to defend there. He must be okay. Mm-hmm. He was taking pictures with uh, sumo wrestlers. Learning their little <laughs> techniques and stuff. So. I saw that. <laughs> so the shoulder may be okay, I guess. Uh-huh. But in all fairness, although Nadal hasn't played in two years, three years, whatever it is, mm. this is Novak's push time right here. Yeah. And Nadal, historically speaking, has not has not done so well on the O2 arena. Yeah. We know this. Mm-hmm. So Novak most likely will end at number one. Most mm-hmm. likely. Moving on. Goran Ivanisevic, who is coaching Novak Djokovic, has told Nick Kyrgios to knock it off. Mm. He says, you need to focus more on your game. Mm. I am the most similar player to you. Mm. I've Everything you've done, I've done. Mm. Would you listen to Goran Ivanisevic if you were Nick Kyrgios? Let me say this. If I were to tell you my top three tennis coaches that I respect the most personally, I think Goran is in it. Um, Goran Ivanisevic, did he coach Roger Federer through 10 slams? No. But he's the guy who found a way to win in an era where he wasn't supposed to be the guy to win. And I think he is the sole single coach that took a guy who literally, in my opinion, didn't have the game to win a slam and got him a grand slam in the most unattainable era in the history of tennis. This is the one era in tennis where no Joe Schmo should be getting a slam for free. And um, he took Marin Cilic to the uh, finish line. I have a deep respect for this guy. He's fixed a lot of people's serves. He has a lot of discipline. He works with people who end up having a strong mentality afterwards. And I think that he's right, you know. Um, if I were Kyrgios, I would take heed. I'd listen. Okay. I have a lot of respect for Ivan Isovich, so... Now Goran is coaching Novak Djokovic. Yeah. Does that make a difference in Kyrgios's eyes? Um, Kyrgios seems to be intelligent enough to separate the two. I don't think he's going to go, whoa, did I just get talked to by Team Djokovic? I think he'll understand who Goran is. And, you know, whether he accepts the information or not is totally separate. But I don't think it'll be determined by the fact that Goran is with Novak. Okay. Um, I don't know Goran, obviously. I don't know Kyrgios, obviously. But. I don't think that uh, it should take effect on it. And I think that Goran is right. You know, Kyrgios is on the cusp right now. He's performing excellent. And if he can just get to that next level right there, we could see the that major run that we're waiting for. It's coming. Now, Kyrgios has had a lot of uh, off-court drama. He's also had uh, uh, women aligning to him. Goran was the same way. When he was in the Voluntary Academy, mm. he would sneak in women into his uh, bedroom. Mm-hmm. So he's the same way. Mm. And just to mention uh, a couple of his stats, in the 90s, he made it to the finals five years in the 90s. Mm. He won two. He's the first player to be 
120 or up and win Wimbledon. Mm. So curious, if I were you, I would definitely listen to what Goran has to say. Mm -hmm. You have Goran probably, I don't know, because I'm a peak guy, but mm. Goran has a massive lefty serve. Mm -hmm. Kyrgios, I think his down to T serve on do side is massive. Mm -hmm. And I think, I hate to say this, maybe comparable. Mm. And you need to listen to Goran. Mm -hmm. And I think you would get titles here and there mm -hmm. if you were. Moving on. Nadal is not content with Kyrgios's ban. Mm -hmm. He said he needed to get more of a ban mm -hmm. and or suspension. Mm -hmm. Are you surprised? Not at all. This is the number one Kyrgios hate person on the tour, in my opinion. And with good reason. I think these two don't like each other genuinely. They're not fans of each other. We kind of saw the the ducking and dodging a labor cup of each other. You know, the the bitterness, the pettiness. I think that Nadal would love to see Kyrgios get anything he has coming to him and then some. So I I wouldn't take too seriously anything Nadal has to say about this. Just like anything Kyrgios has to say to slight the Nadal legacy, I wouldn't listen too much to. These guys are sensitive, you know. So I think that Kyrgios got pretty much what he needed you know get off the tour i think that it's funny that he got his ban during an a part of the season where no one really cares you know he'll probably be, he'll probably be back right when we need him to be back which is kind of it seems like it was done with proper intention from the tour it's them selling tickets so you know um i guess in that aspect maybe nadal is right you know maybe nadal's like come on you guys are giving him a 16 week ban during the 16 weeks we don't play tennis, you know, like it's maybe, maybe a little too soft in that way, but it's fine. It's okay. There is a probational period that he has to deal with as well. So, okay. Now here's the question. <clears throat> Are you surprised that the ATP gave him the suspension after Zuhai? Once he competed in Zuhai and he said, I have a collarbone injury. Mm. All of a sudden, ah, here comes the suspension. Now, uh, uh, shout out to Javier, one of our listeners. He did mention this. I tell him that I was going to give him a shout out. Mm -hmm. Are you surprised that it came during that period? Um, no, no, I'm not. I am. I'm kind of surprised that he snuck into Zuhai and, you know, got his little appearance fee because in my head I was thinking, they let him in Labor Cup because it was Labor Cup, and he's out of here right after Labor Cup. So I'm like, how in the hell did he sneak into this tournament with a quote-unquote injury and get paid? You know, so that's interesting. You know, it seems like something's going on there. That doesn't seem like just a coincidence. But, I mean, it's Zuhai. No one really cares, and that might also be part of the reason why it happened. So, you know, there's definitely something to that. You know, credit to Javier for making that uh, observation. Right. Yeah. Now, here's a question for you. Is the nadal Kyrgios, um head-to-head -head getting more important to you than the novak Kyrgios head-to-head? -head? No, the stakes are higher in the novak Kyrgios head-to-head because it's still 2-0. It still hasn't happened. Um, I think that with the nadal Kyrgios matchup, we kind of know what we're going to get when that match happens. We don't know what we're going to get when that uh, Djokovic-Kyrgios matchup comes. I don't know what to expect. 
uh, Kyrgios is 2-0, but we also know that this time around, we're going to see a more flustered chip on his shoulder, Novak, on the court. When's the last time you saw that? Not in a while. I don't know. I can't remember the last time I saw Novak come out, and I knew in the back of my mind this guy wants to kill this guy on the other side of the court. So I don't think there's a, another match on the tour that I'm anticipating more than Kyrgios versus Novak. To the point where I don't even know if Kyrgios really wants that matchup. You know, I don't know if he really wants it. I don't know. That's a scary match. Well, if he wins, he's going to do a cup of love. So who cares? Though? What's if up? he wins that match, the Internet's going crazy. Be ready. That's going to be we're doing an emergency podcast that day. <laughs> it's uh, coming out that night. OK. Now, Kyrgios did go on uh, his Instagram and say, people, relax. I can still play. Mm. It's a detention. Mm. So I have to be on my best behavior. I can't talk about any line judges. I have to respect my opponents. I can't trash, uh, talk trash to any um, audience member. Mm. Now the question becomes, do you think that Kyrgios can be just as entertaining without doing any of his antics? Absolutely. Um, for me personally, I don't think that the trash talk and the drama that he causes with people off the court is why I watch him. Um, I don't know if he thinks that's why. But his negativity on the court is definitely not what drives me to press play when he's playing a match. It's his shot-making ability, his athleticism, his spark, his serve, and maybe the crowd interaction when he's being positive. You know, the, what shot should I hit to end this match? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm a big fan of all that. I would be actually much happier to watch him without the dramatic, oh, are you kidding me? That ball was way in. Oh, you're stupid. You know, I don't need any of that. That's childish. You know, so if we could get Kyrgios without all that drama, I think that I'd enjoy him on the tour more. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> he has called it a um, – he's – okay, how can I put this? He's done for the whole year. Mm -hmm. He will not play until ATP Cup. Mm -hmm. So he has uh, two and a half months yeah. just to hang out. Now, he did get invited to a pickleball tournament mm -hmm. in uh, Australia. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I love pickleball. Uh, for our listeners who don't know what pickleball is, this is a game that's played on maybe, imagine half of the tennis court, and or imagine the service box on a tennis court, just that one square on the court. And um, the match is played on essentially that. And it's like ping pong mixed with tennis, but you're playing with a paddle and a wiffle ball. So you can swing as hard as you want, but the tempo of the game doesn't accelerate too much. This is a game of touch and tactics where hitting really hard doesn't really reward you. Um, this is a fun game. It's buzzing because people of any age can play it, and it's still rewarding. Uh, and Kyrgios has touch technical skill. He has a tactical mind. I think he'd be an issue for people in pickleball. I think he'd be sick to play. They should televise that. I'd watch it. Yes, and for <clears throat> others, pickleball is also – after tennis players retire, mm -hmm. you know, they have a hip problem, a shoulder problem, whatever. They go to pickleball. Mm -hmm. So it's a little slower. And as you stated, it's more tactical. Yeah. You need to have great movement for mm -hmm. pickleball. You need to be a great thinker mm -hmm. and you need to know tactics and placement. Mm -hmm. So do you think that Nick Kyrgios can uh, push the sport of pickleball? Um, I don't know if it needs the push from him, but... I think he can bring eyes to pickleball that weren't looking at it prior if they were to televise something or put it on YouTube or, you know, put it online. 
So, I mean, he could help push the culture forward, but I'll say this right now. For those who don't know, it's a beast of its own, and it's moving fast. You know, it's a growing sport. I've literally been to tennis centers where they knock down a tennis court to put up pickleball courts. So, depending where you're at and where you're from, pickleball might be coming really close to you. Keep your eyes open on that. Right. Okay. So, going back to the Curiosa ban, if he acts up at all, Mm. he's going to be taking away the 150000 dollars fine, whatever it was, Mm. and the six-month suspension will then apply right then and there. Mm. That's what's going to happen. So, I know I've asked you this before, but to me, I don't know. It's going to be hard to watch him without uh, interacting with uh, umpires and the crowd, whether or not he's still going to be entertaining. Mm. Because to me, his focus isn't that high to me. Mm. So we'll see Mm. whether or not he can or not. Now, very last uh, statement. He did not get any fines for calling the ATP corrupt. Mm. Are you surprised by that? I'm glad he didn't because we... We aren't going to make that decision ourselves on whether he's telling the truth. And, oh, it's official. They're corrupt because he said it. You know, um, I think that there needed to be some type of repercussions for his actions on that. But I don't think that it was something that should result in six months. Um, You know, you shouldn't slander your paycheck and you should have respect for your paycheck as well. Or just do it in a more political and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, just a better manner. There's better ways to go about it than screaming it on a court on television. So, you know, if you really truly have an issue, you know, take it up with some people, publicize it if you want to, but on a a more professional level. So I guess uh, the fact that he's getting what he's getting is good enough for me. Now, bringing up something, Goran Ivanisevic is supposed to be into Hall of Fame next year in 2020. Mm. He is the fan of most votes of fans mm-hmm. for the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Just to let you know, Goran was a beast. Mm-hmm. So that was the news for this week. Hopefully you guys were entertained. Goran, Goran, Goran. Yeah, I'm a big fan too. So good for him. Congrats.